Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to your favorite Tuesday or I mean Thursday podcast, Game Dev Unchained. This is Larry Charles, one half of the host of the Game Dev Unchained podcast. And I didn't do this alone, not day one, not today. I brought back the co-host, Mr. Brandon Fam. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, thank you, Larry, for inviting me back. But uh, we have a very special episode this week. Please also welcome our awesome guest, Johan Bernhardson. Hello. Correct. Hey, Johan, yeah, welcome. That's correct. Nailed it. All right. So, uh, Johan, uh, thanks for joining us. You're located in Sweden. It's actually 5 a.m. over there. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's awesome that for for you to join us. But before we go into our topic, which is uh, how to start a game company, do you mind kind of going over your resume, how you got in the industry, how you ended up where you are right now, just to give our audience an idea? Uh, absolutely. Um, so I started uh, game development um, and I finished that in 2000, 2009, 2010. And uh, by that point, it was kind of difficult to get a job in the gaming industry because, well, all of the, mo- all of the money and all of the investments are sort of dried up for new projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually uh, worked on uh, on mobile apps for a couple of years before uh, I was eventually hired by Mojang. Um, Mojang? Where I, yeah, <laughs> where I came to uh, finally work on uh, a Minecraft Pocket Edition, mm-hmm. uh, oh, which nice. I was uh, um, first the main developer, and then uh, there were two of us for uh, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for three years, I, um, I helped make that project uh, as successful as its uh, PC, yeah, PC brother, so to say. So, how big was uh, the team? You, you, sorry, you mentioned two people, or just two two people on that side over there? Yeah, like uh, dedicated to Pocket Edition, uh, we went from one to two wow. people. Dang. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's a small gang. It was a uh, small teams, right, right, right. Uh, and then, well, now they're they're in the like. I don't know how many people are working on it, but it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft usually blows it yeah, up. They've definitely grown. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, um, but it was yeah. it was a lot of fun because um, I, I got to do a lot of different parts. It was not just development or design or um, even a little bit of art. It was also uh, all of the like production related tasks and mm-hmm. marketing and talking to partners and, and things of that nature, community building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, that, I think that was also like the reason that I wanted to try to, to make something, something on my own mm-hmm. to see that build up so successfully. I think that maybe I can do that with the, with like, with my own projects. Right. Nice. I'm glad you have the entrepreneurial bug. When it hits, you know, it's you, you just got to follow it. That's what I say. 
yeah i mean do you mind kind of giving us a little background about the the industry in sweden like besides is dice over there but i don't know too many companies over there um yeah um so yeah so we have dice and they make um most of the things for the Battlefield series and the uh, Star Wars uh, Battlefront series. And Numerous Edge is developed uh, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we oh, have nice. a massive who create the, the Division. Mm-hmm. Like really Division. Yeah, precisely. Okay. Um, uh, King. Uh, you know, oh, the King, King, King of video games. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, you guys kind of have like the biggest games over there. <laughs> you talking about Mojang and everything? Yeah, like there, there are like thousands of people in Sweden working with games right now. So it's uh, yeah. it's a very exciting time for, for game development. Uh, Sweden has like a very long history of creating these awesome, cool uh, video game companies. Yeah. Um, so it's it's all in different ages as well, which yeah. is great. Yeah, so the talent's everywhere. Uh, let me ask you this. Let's take it all the way back just for one second. What actually made you want to get into gaming? Um, I, I actually thought it was like the hardest thing to do, to like do programming wise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was, was drew me into it in the beginning. Um, so now we have all of these like engines and stuff to help us, but you have to basically make everything like that yourself in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was super exciting. And uh, I still think that it's like, it's incredible that like we can tell computers to do these awesome things and that they do it. It's still, I still, it still amazes me to this day that it just works. Yeah. <laughs> Like even though I understand like how all of the different parts work, it's still like it's incredible that they all work together. Yeah, seriously. And and think about how far and how efficient the technology has come. Where you know a computer that would have taken up the entire space under my desk is now nowhere near as powerful as a device I can slide into my pocket. Yeah, precisely. And I, I also really like that it's so focused on player experience. Um, yes. Like, so there are a few like business models you, you can fall into, but I mean, if you don't have a good user experience, then that's not going to work anyway. So it's like, it was very focused on just like creating an awesome pro- product right from the beginning. Yeah. And also all the technical limitations, the challenges that comes with it and like especially now if you're going for like visual uh the visual height uh graphic fidelity it's it's like games are trying to get there during real time instead of trying to render it out so we're always raising the ceiling graphically at the same time like gameplay wise all these specifications and it's so interesting that you were talking about how you worked on the pocket edition of minecraft which is like blowing up (laughs) Like every kid has it, I would say. Like uh, I actually prefer the pocket edition. Uh, it, it's so handy just to have it in your pocket all the time. But man, uh, like the only thing I've read about Sweden is how you guys keep talking the lists in <laughs> everything. <laughs> so, like, how's the working conditions? I mean, how how's life over there in general? Like, are you guys encouraged? 
to start businesses? Uh, are there different ways to help you along with that without taking too much risk? I mean, we're in the United States and it's kind of, you know, there's fair opportunities, but there's also a lot of problems that can come with it too. So, so like when, when setting up a company, you have a few like different, different problems that you need to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you need some sort of like basic infrastructure, especially if you haven't started companies before, like, okay, how, how do you make, how do you create the budget? How do you like talk to all of these partners and how do you negotiate contracts and things of that nature? And it's very, very important to have uh, like a support network in order to do that. And I think that Sweden is very good at setting up these like free incubators where um, you can just, or, well, almost free incubators uh, where you can get all of that like advice and help in order to like just go from the, you know, zero to one. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have like the financing bit and like that is always difficult. Like even in Sweden, you have to like basically live without salary until you actually make money in, like within the company. Mm -hmm. um, oh, man. The one problem with Sweden is that we, uh, when, it, when we're talking about VC funding and things of that nature, like more, um, now we're actually going to fund a video game. Um, it is very like industry based in Sweden and games is sort of like, it's in between being a tech business and being like a movie project. Mm -hmm. And that is like very difficult to define to all of these like old industry types. Like, yeah. oh yeah, this is this is a viable business model, because it's. Um, I, I don't think it's just it's just about the product. It's also about like how what is the actual strategy to getting your games to market? Like, what yeah. games are we making? How are we making them? It's like the entire the entire process. And that is incredibly difficult to explain to people who do not come from the gaming industry. Right. Yeah. I think even over here, it's kind of like you can mention the well-known brands and they kind of nod their heads, but they have no idea. People still think that we, I just play games at work. <laughs> and that's my wife. <laughs> so a lot of the issues when we're trying to explain things, I mean, I, I mean, we have conventions here, you know, the gaming developing, uh, community, especially with VR, like a lot of different industries are finally budding in, in a way, interested in what we're doing with how the industry have, has grown over the years. Like it, it looks impressive. So it's easier to like, Hey, you actually can experience this rather than just watching it like a movie. So I'm 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 very uh, surprised that even with all those huge, huge game companies over there, that uh, it, it's still having a little bit securing of securing the funding. Yeah, it's securing funding. You get yeah. you just need to walk through Candy Crush <laughs> and look at its daily finance and and be like, yeah, but but we also don't want to do that because we don't want to oh, make they expect it. <laughs> Especially us, we want to like our business model is keeping the team small right and then you go and tell that to other people and they're mm -hmm. like wait how are you going to make a profit if you're not like 100 people right 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 but that's not like it's easier if you're not 100 people right 100 <laughs> people is 
like it's how the company goes under. Very difficult. Yeah, yeah, you have a very unique experience. You worked on on Minecraft Pocket Edition with two people, right? And that's a weird license because it's like a multi-billion dollar type of game, but it's still indie because it is relatively really small, right? And I'm, I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure from that experience is what encouraged you. Like, hey, you know, with not too many people, you, we can be somewhat good at uh, just putting our product out there and having people experience it. But rewinding all the way back, though, you mentioned like after that, you went from there to thinking about forming your own company. And did you just gather a bunch of friends, people that you've known in the industry together and what was that process like, just finding the right people at the very beginning? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, like, the biggest problem is people not finding people who want to start a company. Because, like, if if you are interested in creating your own games, then you probably know a lot of other people who are as well. Mm-hmm. The problem is finding people who want to start a game company right now. Mm-hmm. And not like, oh, but in two years or, like, in five years. Um it's sort of like the problem is also like the ages that like most game developers are like in like 25 to 40 mm-hmm. years of age. Like people are thinking about maybe having kids and starting families. And then they're like, well, yeah, but then maybe I should just keep this very like well-paying job right now. And then mm-hmm. I'll think about do something else after that. Um, so, so that is like, <laughs> it's super annoying when you're trying to find people and they're yeah. like they can't understand like how super exciting it would be to start a game company right um uh, so so what we did um i had um one of my friends uh my co-founder sarah um who i i like approached several times before uh, she has a background in uh um, marketing and like all of those business related like community building and all of those sort of um, things. So when I started, when I started thinking about creating a company, I wanted to have like a, the business plan in place first mm-hmm. and knowing how, how are we going to make the company profitable? Um, a lot of people who start game companies don't think about that until very much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really wanted to do that from the start and, um, and it just happened that uh, she worked out. Then we had another couple of candidates who we uh, were planning with for about five or six months before they had to back out. And then we like had to restart the process again of like mm-hmm. finding a team, testing it, and then just like um, creating like the plan for the company. Yeah, that must be one of the frustrating part when you're trying to start. I mean, you're ready to go, but you're going to meet a lot of people that would initially say yes, but five months in or two, two concept art later, <laughs> they immediately back out or something for some reason. I mean, for obvious, maybe security reasons, but it is frustrating. I mean, how, how many people through that process did you guys lose that agreed in the first place? Well, we only lost two. But okay. that was okay. like after a very long process and yeah. just starting to, but, but after like everyone, some people like jump ships, the, 
the creation of the company sort of stalls for a bit. Like right. you have to regroup and you have to rethink um, and do all of those like important important parts as well. Uh, so that probably set us back maybe like eight months in planning. Mm. And where we just like have to go back to the drawing board and just like trying to, um, during that time we also like we switched to doing like story-based PC games, um, which was also very important because like there's where we saw that uh, that the market was at the time where we would actually be able to like make money from the games. Uh, so, so it was like an important step, but it's super annoying. Mm-hmm. Like you just want to <laughs> start making the games, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to know where your business is going to go, you know, so that you make decisions that kind of help guide towards that goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had a question, a quick question for you. What were some of the best resources that you had available that most people may not think about in the early stages of starting a business? You know, do you have any like, oh, well, we utilized the library or we, you know, like, were there any uh, early days tips and tricks that definitely helped you in the transition from not being a business owner to being a business owner? Uh, So for the company, I would say that there was about 14 months of planning before we started the company. Mm -hmm. Four Um, zero or 14? 14. 14. Um, 14. Okay, thank you. With like, I mean, there were some like on and off periods and, and things like that, um, but about 14 months. And we did not decide on the game until the last month. Mm. Okay. So I think it was a very important thing that we didn't do. We analyzed the market. We find like, okay, where, um, what price brackets do we have to fit them? What are our competitors? Uh, how how can we utilize the strengths of a super small team making its first project and um, just like getting it out to market and just when you're starting to look at like how many copies of the game you actually have to sell Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. starts out very simple like oh we only need to sell 40,000 copies of the game and then you're like end up at well I mean if you actually want to finance the next game then maybe we need to sell over a hundred thousand and then it goes on like it mm. you can you can always add more and you have to be like okay what's how probable is it that we're going to sell a hundred thousand copies how probable is it that we're even going to sell fifty thousand copies um mm. then you have to like find a um a piece of the market where you're like able to actually like get that number of sales and and I thought that was very important um, in in Sweden and and I know this this is very common for other places as well. There are these like lists of how to make a business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not follow those <laughs> 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 because like business plans are like they're often very they're often kind of theoretical, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And often they like they add values and stuff even before you actually found a team, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a distraction. The, the most important part is, I think, find where you like. What is the market you want to sell the game to? How can you utilize the strength of a team? In in our case, a very small team, and I'm hoping in most cases, small team for the first game at least, mm-hmm. and uh, then. Once you figure out the like the economics, like how you're gonna get everything to run in the studio, then you actually decide on a game. Because what what we're 
what we're doing with Menatab is not create a company to make a game. Mm-hmm. We're creating a company to make many games, mm-hmm. right? So you need to have more focus on um, how to get game to market, how to finance the first the first product. Like, what if some one person have to like jump off the project like three months before release because they have to do something else? Would the product like even survive such a thing? So I think it's very important that you actually like we talk about the business parts first. Creating a budget so you know how much money you're spending. That's very important. And those are like those are super boring things to do. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> as a game developer, I, I hate doing it. But I mean that's how we knew that we could make a profit in our company. And without that, it would just be like then then you can just spend like create games on your free times instead. Where we're trying to make a company, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. So it was with you and Sarah, and you guys went through, you said, 14 months of recruiting and business plan, all this process to begin to start the company. You guys have technically have started. So were you guys using your own savings, uh, some initial funding? Like how, and you were you guys full time, I assume? while you're in this 14 months recruiting people? Um, so um, we're, um, so we're three co-founders and we're all living without salary mm-hmm. um, for like most of the project, at least. I'm, I'm not going to take a salary until the game is out. Right. Um, I, I was able to loan in a bit of money into the game uh, initially. And mm-hmm. then we had a couple of loans uh, one from, um, so in every country, there are like these investment funds that are able to like borrow in money mm-hmm. and just like, because they want new businesses to start up and they're, they usually appreciate like good terms and things like that. So we were able to get a small loan for there. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to, uh, borrow money from a, um, a successful game developer, mm-hmm. um, who already like they had success in the past and then, then like they just go in and like they loan in money. Now the mm-hmm. companies is not really an investment. And the, uh, last year in the end of last year, we actually got in, um, a VC company as well. Nice. And so, uh, so we actually got in a little bit of like investing from that as well. But the important thing to know is that like when it comes to VC and stuff, your company is not going to be worth a lot before you actually prove in your business idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and our product, and our product became a lot more expensive to create than we originally thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But that VC money is also going to go a long way in helping us build game two. Mm-hmm. Because that's the, that's the idea. Like, even if game project one were to fail, we're able to, um, keep developing and make game two. Right. Because you you don't know what other games are released the same week as you are. Like even if we even if we create an awesome pro- product that have like the best marketing strategy, there are still like a lot of things that can go wrong. So the the idea has always been try to make two games. And one of them should sell as well as we're hoping it should be. And they should cover like the cost of the three, the first three games. Yeah, it's always good to plan the one-two punch. 
like the most famous one that always like stick to me is when Tarantino had Pulp Fiction, the script, but he held on to that to make Reservoir Dogs. And then uh, he, I think the theory was uh, one is good, but like two is when you're great, when you can do two hits. So I think yeah. it's pretty smart that, you know, the first one's a learning process, right? But the second one is your your best effort on, on like the culmination of all the skills that you learn from the first one. So it's always good to plan at least two, to give it a fair, fair shot. But what I've heard, which a lot has been downplayed by guys getting together and, and, and thinking about making game, right? First instinct is like, let's make the game we've always wanted to make. And usually instead, you know, they completely dismiss the whole idea of marketing research, like how valuable that is, you know, seeing if we were to develop a game in a year or two years, I mean, what, what is the slate? What does that look like for the, for the announced game? Sorry. You don't even know what the unannounced games are. So you came in, but being able to, to say, all right, what genre, what type of game, what system, like that's, that's a lot of good pre-planning. And like you said, even with the best plans, Things can go array uh, and off rails, but at least you're giving yeah. yourself like the best chance that you can possibly get before uh, going down that path, especially with a huge team or like five people waiting on you right? <laughs> on making decisions. Um, I, I think that's one important thing to say as well is that Lake Rhythm was not actually our favorite pitch. Mm-hmm. It was like the easy game to start with. Now, that's not true anymore, but that was the, the, the initial idea with the game, that this is like, we're a new, unproven team, um, and we as, we need to make a game that doesn't like innovate on too many things at once, mm-hmm. um, because you, you want to try to keep the risks down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that has also like been like a very boring part of of, of us starting a company is that we're like trying to find all these risks and trying to mitigate them as, as quickly yeah. as like humanly possible. <laughs> now, was anyone on your team, did they already have good business experience or was everyone coming together, you know, just like in your, your first couple of picks were all of them content creators or did anyone come on board just as a business developer? Yeah, so, so Sara is our uh, business developer and marketing and, and community person. And uh, uh, as I said earlier, that was the first person I wanted to bring on to the team. Like, yeah. I thought this was very important to have someone who has like the actual business in mind to have this long term thinking about what we're going to do. Yeah, you can't you can't have a room full of artists and programmers. <laughs> And just let them <laughs> create. It can take forever. Yeah, I would say that. Oh, I could. I, <laughs> go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Yeah, your number two pick or no, number three say, at least <laughs> has to be at least a, a producer. Yeah. Somebody in there. <laughs> Someone in there has to be in control of the project and in control of you know moving the company forward. Like it's a full time job doing business development. You know, it's it's not like oh, 
you just send out a press release. It's like, no, you're hustling. You're looking for opportunities, looking for people, looking for tax breaks, looking for, you know, meeting opportunities with other companies, looking at the competition. You know, a business, a good business developer is going to be active, especially when the company is just starting, you know, so. Uh, one one important thing to like know as well when you're trying to recruit a team is that it's, especially in Sweden we have these huge gaming companies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a lot of people are very like specialized on things. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we we only want to hire generalists. Like of we course, want yeah. people with like a wide skill set, and oh, that wow. is not always easy to find. Yeah, those guys are like very rare. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're unicorns those are the scary guys who who are like self-taught and yeah or work sleep, the basically. companies yeah because that like that also exists but then if you get the cv from one person from massive one person who's been working on a smaller game company the person from massive is going to be a lot more specialized than the other guys mm-hmm. so and i think that is important to know when you're starting a game company is that you want you want generalists. Mm-hmm. If you now, don't when, have it, fill every specific, like specialized position. So, when it came to filling positions for you guys early on, did you initially go with an approach like, "Hey, you know, we can't guarantee work right away, so we'll do contract basis"? Were you signing people on like with full like employments, or uh, how did you, I guess, bring the initial employees on board, and like what kind of package did you offer them? Uh, so we actually only hire our, um, like the founders right now. We have two. Okay. We have two interns, and we have one contractor. So the contractor gotcha. is paid, like because he's a contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, we try to keep like um, salaries and stuff like not as a cost. Right. Just yet. Okay. And even yeah. when we're paying out salaries, it's like a very, very low salary. Mm-hmm. Um, because that that is like, that is how you kill a company. You start paying wages too early. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, but that is like, that is a cost. That, that totally makes sense. It's like, all right, here's your salary for this week. Uh, you look hungry. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also easy. Yeah. It's yeah. also easier when every, everyone else in the company is still like living as students, so they basically have no costs. <laughs> Everyone's fasting for the next two weeks. It's good for you. Let's go. I mean, that's 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 very familiar, right? Any startup that you ever hear about, any guy that with an idea who's starting a company, like Elon Musk was on ramen for a year. <laughs> after he found paypal and shit like he found all these companies but you know he's famous for spending all his millions of dollars and almost like living in his friend's house while building these other big companies it's like if you can mitigate whatever you can as as a founder you want to so that you can stretch that dollar as far as you can to make that game yeah. that you the second game that you want to make right so you gotta look at the long term so it totally makes sense sacrifice um, and it's also important, I think, to like stop thinking about expenses in the company as costs. Mm-hmm. They're investments making the product. Mm-hmm. So that is also how you should view them and how you should prioritize them. Like, how is this? How is this cost going to come back to me? Mm-hmm. And we 
we have always thought that the team is the most important thing in our company. So spending money on the team is better than probably a lot of other things that we can spend our money on. Mm. Uh, we don't we don't have out the awesome product yet. And until we do, we actually we have to really focus on like making like making it work as well as it can for the team. Yeah. You do you want this bag of chips? <laughs> or do you want to invest into the company? <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't understand. So, all right. So, you got all these guys in a room. You finally, 14 months of grueling recruiting, business plans, marketing research. You get to that 13th month, right? Is when you said the last month when you guys started to finally talk about the game you want to make. Like, what, what was that process like? Was that intentional? It sounded like it was. And wh- why, why exactly did you guys end up doing that way on the 13th month of, of the team? Uh, so this was the month before like we actually moved into the office and started working and um, the way we did it is that each person and we were three people were allowed to pitch one idea and the, that idea had to adhere to some rules like it, it had to be story based because that was the market segment that we had found and mm. it had to like be a linear experience of certain lengths because that's like the kind of game that our target group wanted to play. And then we were all allowed to pitch uh, these different like weird ideas that we'd either be thinking long about or that we just like figured out the, the week before. Um, it, ideas for games are like, everyone has ideas for games. It's not super difficult even to figure out a new idea for a game. Um, so having those sort of constraints really, really helped people to just like, okay, but I want to make this game, but we also have to have the story thing in this strong character. So then I'll just tweak this thing to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, three pitches and it was actually fairly easy to choose between them because one was, one was easier than the others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we fought. Now, uh, Lakerid has grown into this super big project. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we started, we thought it was easy. Just think how big the other projects would have grown. Yeah. yeah. That, is, <laughs> that is really scary. Yeah. It, it's always like three times harder, three times longer than, than what you initially think. Even as professional game developers, right? I mean, when you get into a room... In starting a small company, you're all beginners in, in some capacity. So, uh, I, I, I really like what you said. Like, I always believe like the games who, what, that are the most constrained, the most limited are the most creative, right? It's just natural. If you have all these set of rules that you can't really get out from, then you're forced to come up with a good idea, uh, within a box or right? you got to create your way out of this box. So it sounded like you guys pretty much game jammed for for a month. Uh, no, so the first thing we did, and this was before we we settled on the game project, was that we actually tested tested out the team mm-hmm. by having a game jam. I see. Um, because game jams are really nice at like figuring out how people work under pressure and how you communicate and. Just like in general, how people think. Some people have like a chemistry when they start making games together, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. 
So we thought that just having a game jam was a really good, good short way of testing does the team work? Because after we like committed and start working and moved into the offices and stuff like that, then you basically don't want to stop. Because then like then you're taking on uh, expenses, then like everything becomes super complicated. Mm-hmm. The marketing machine starts. <laughs> and that it's also sort of embarrassing to stop marketing a game and then like two weeks later it's just like no the game is not gonna come out. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Just reset the counter on your website and you should be good. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even worse, finish the game anyway with a team that doesn't work, which is very common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't move backwards. So the game jam was to figure out it's, it's kind of like expediting. It's a good, t- the process of seeing how people work, seeing how people act under stress, completing a project together in a very limited time. And just like fast forwarding what it would be like. And if this is something we all want to, you know, embark on this very complicated and very complex journey together. That's a very smart way. I think that's actually the first time I heard of such a process. Yeah. Yeah. Was that something? I think a lot more companies are going to adopt that too. Yeah. Is this something that you guys uh, took on as advice or just came up with, Sarah just came up with it because she's smarter that way? (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know who came up with it. We, I know that we did it with our initial team as well. Mm-hmm. Just like, let's see how well we work together. And I, it was not uh, an external thing. I think it's, we came up with the idea within the team. But it's... Mm-hmm. So when we did that with the initial team, it's just like, oh, this is great. Now we know exactly how we, we work and like how people... Like even the way that we want to deliver access to each other. Mm-hmm. Like... I've seen I've seen conflicts in game companies because like some people are super peculiar and mm. that just that that doesn't really work for a game company. So you can you can sort of test out people. And like just the added the added stress is very important. Like the oh my god, we just have like twenty minutes to finish the the game. That is, is super exciting. Um you you can really like see how how people are thinking and yeah. and acting. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you simulate. <laughs> wait, I just, you simulate hard working conditions. You simulate a deadline that's immediate. You force you know teamwork and cooperation. Our cooperation. That's uh yeah. I like that. Yeah, you gotta start see doing that with people, students. Yeah, you you gotta see how people stand with their knees being buckling, uh, being buckled under pressure. Like it's 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 a very important lesson, to be honest. Like just mm-hmm. because I uh, I think a lot of times when companies do start, and when especially you're in in uh, responsible for other people's success, right? That can be a lot of pressure. And then that's the worst time to find out that you can't handle that type of pressure. Right? <laughs> it's like every decision or every lateness is going to be answered with like, you don't want to feed my kids. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Why are you doing? Like it's so much pressure. Like you're not able to, you know, fuck up basically with that type of condition. So that's very smart actually to, uh, to do this beforehand. 
Yeah, or even like a competitive game jam. And I hate to say, it, like, you know, make it competitive, but that actually you would learn even that much more because you add in the adversity of an other team being better than you. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? That's just, yeah. You've given us some gold, man. I'm, I'm seriously going to go back to school and start working with students and be like, all right, get day one game jam. Let's see who's got the who's got the salt and who doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, um, so competitive games games are great, um, but it's also the fact that you're often creating games sort of like in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you don't really have anything to compare it to, and no one created their company at the same time as you did, Mm -hmm. so you have no idea how far you're supposed to be after eight months or ten months. So everyone is just like, oh my god, are we behind? And how much are we like supposed to be able to create? <laughs> and like artists, they always like they want every game to look as the best looking game to ever. Yeah. And like programmers want a lot of features. And it's <laughs> it's <laughs> it's very interesting because we start comparing ourselves to other games. Uh, without really like thinking, okay, so how was the team that made this game? How how many hurdles did they go through in order to get that game out? Mm-hmm. It's like just comparing yourself is very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, okay. Especially while you're working. Yeah. I think initially when you're doing the research, it's fine to kind of see the process. But once the paper is set, like, or I mean, you know, your plan is set. Like you can't constantly look over your shoulder, seeing what other people are doing while you're trying to work on your own stuff. It's it, it, you're gonna psych yourself out. You're gonna start questioning your own design. You see a game that's similar, and then you suddenly you fall apart. Like it, it's just you gotta <laughs> stick to what you to your gut, man. You gotta stick to what you plan and finish it all the way through to stay original, basically. Yeah. You see, yeah. One thing, one thing that we do with our company, which I think don't think is very common, is that we actually like every week we like have like internal training for each other mm-hmm. to just like trying to improve. And I think that's very uncommon in startups, mm-hmm. uh, but that's also very good because like the people who already know a skill have to like, what, what exactly do I know about this thing? Mm-hmm. And then they have to like refresh their, like, to call it, refresh refresh those skills for that specific part and then you have to like learn, teach be able to teach each other and another thing that we do every week is that we as a team play someone else's game mm. and just like we try to analyze like okay so why why did they do this how does that affect the experience of the player mm-hmm. um because uh, creating a vocabulary for how a game like game analysis works and how um, how how all of that works will eventually help us analyze our own game. Mm-hmm. Um, now we are going to get a lot of external feedback as well because we have like a huge like support network of people who who are able to give us feedback. But being able to analyze um, your own work is like super important. Yeah, it's that's it's that's fun. It's that's great. The artist is gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> the artists are always like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's always important to look at your game in in a different light. 
come at it from a different perspective because especially in any group that you know doesn't really step away from the desk and you're always crunching right you, you're kind of stuck in this bubble so it's it's good to step outside of it and just you know is this is this something still viable is this still good you know things like that uh, by the way crunching we don't really do that so that like, was that a decision have, uh, at the forefront, just based on experiences before? Yes. So at at Mojang, we never had like crunching, and that was fine because we have a super successful game, so we didn't really need to. <laughs> um, but the thing is that it can actually increase productivity when people like have a chance to rest when they get home and then come back. Um, like especially for some like design and, and like marketing. Things like that that is like super that just takes so much energy out of you. It's very important that uh, people actually get the rest. Yeah, and we're very strict on that. And like, you're not allowed to work if you're sick, like even from home. Yeah, how just do you like to try? <laughs> do you right? do you just send people over there in the middle of the night just to make sure? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I mean, you, you don't get access to the repository from outside oh, I see, the office. I see. I see. <laughs> wow, you guys are really straight. So that's a smart way. That's a really smart way to do it. That's like you guys are serious. Like we we hear that at companies we work for. It's like oh, we don't want you to work. But what would you like on Saturday? Like those are the type of things. <laughs> what would you like to eat? But for you guys to go to extreme, well, to the extra measure of saying. Yeah, you have no access. There's no way you can work. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, is that common? Is crunching common at all over in Sweden in the game industry? Um, yes. Okay. I would I would say so. I mean, the it's probably it's more uncommon on the bigger companies and like for instance, King who is like super successful don't have it either. Right. Um, but I yeah, it's it's very common. And you also have to remember that like game developers like crunching. Like it's fun to like work into the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of stop people from doing that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that you don't really see that your own productivity is like going down mm-hmm. when you like because it feels like okay, but I'm just doing more and it should be more. Yeah. But in reality, you're going slower and you're just hanging out with your friends at work. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to work smarter rather yeah. than harder. Right. Is there overtime so pay and stuff? Or is it completely the same as over here? Very few. Uh, in Sweden? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there should be. <laughs> okay. So it's the industry. same over here then. <laughs> If you guys tell me you guys get overtime as salary workers, it's like, oh, okay. Now I get it. It's like, well, yeah, but we buy you dinner if you work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. It's the same. (laughs) The game industry is universal, everyone. (laughs) Even in Sweden. But I mean, it's not, it shouldn't really be about pay. It should be about we don't want people to work as much. Yeah, totally. But if they are, then they should be paid, I think. It's awesome that you're setting that up for a very good and positive company culture, you know, to keep the employee benefits in mind, especially when it's uh, time management, you know, life balance and things like that. Uh, What are some of the other unique selling points or company culture and company values, things that you think it's great to have as a small business starting up in the game industry? I think the thing that 
like defines our team is that there's very little prestige. Like we're actually able to critique critique each other very well, and people are like very open to feedback and things like that. Um, we we've noticed that game companies don't really teach people about how to take feedback or how to give it either. Mm. Um, but we we all we like started out very much like we we don't want we don't want an idea to be like oh this is my idea or this is my idea. We want an idea to just like be part of the game, and then yeah. if it doesn't work, then we can just lift it out or change it and like move backwards and forwards. And I think that that is very like it's very uncommon. When it comes to when it comes to game development, like you have a like an art director who decides, so you have a, a lead designer who every you know, which every decision goes through, and that actually like it builds up this sort of like status almost um, as developers, and, and that is I think very it, it's not as fun for the team because your opinions are not worth as much as, as someone else, um, but it's. It's also like there is resistance to change. And especially for small game companies, change is everything. We have to be able to be be agile. Yeah. At the at small stage when things are getting going, you know, it's it's definitely important to understand that the next meal may not come from, you know, what's right in front of you. You know, there may be business opportunities to the left, to the right. Something may close. Somebody may no longer be available. You may lose somebody. So having the agility to be able to handle different situations or at least to plan for the fact that you might need to have extra assets available to handle situations is key to survival in the early stage. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like gaming schools should definitely teach how to how to give and how to receive feedback. feedback? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that people don't like learn that after five years in the industry. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I tell my students when they work sucks, deal with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I actually tell them, I, I grade them as if like, this is industry ready. This is not, this is, the reality is this is what you need to fix because yeah, you're completely right. Like the, the show, the social aspect of game development is nowhere near, uh, in any of those classes. Like it's always about technical skills and, uh, even finding jobs, how to do interviews. I mean, these are things that are so important. That's 50% of the, the job, right? You get high, you get looked at when you have a good portfolio, but the other 50%, well, maybe not for programmers. I know how you guys interview. It's just all skills, but <laughs> it's a personality test at some in some regards. Uh, well, I guess indie, right? I'm sure you guys don't want just skilled people. It's just, you know, if you're sitting next to someone that long, you, you kind of worry if they have bad hygiene or bad manners or, <laughs> or something like that, right? The, all these matter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's an aspect that is completely missing in the educational systems, um, especially here. So I agree. Well, actually communication in general, like, I mean, so this is just something that's like normal people should know how you should be able to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. And like, it feels like some game developers will skip that day in school. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, this is a scary thing about game developers, man. We 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 don't really learn too much as a group, right? Everyone kind of build their skill set. Yeah, maybe in a classroom, but you're kind of like you have your headphones on and you're just working away, getting better at things. And I think that carries through when you're a professional too. Yeah, you do talk, you do collaborate, but eventually you're back at your desk eight hours most of the time of the of the the game development phase. You're not really pushed to like, all right, guys, it's uh, 3 p.m. Spend about 30 minutes an hour talking to your colleagues, everybody, not just the leads. <laughs> everybody get up and do it. Yeah. Oh, one more, one more thing I should say before, like, Sarah wonders why I didn't mention that. It's like planning for like what's the worst that can happen in the company, like Mm -hmm. what happens when, and those are very important questions to ask early. Like, what happens if someone wants to leave the company? Mm -hmm. What happens Mm -hmm. if someone gets sick? What happens? What happens? What happens? Those are very important questions to discuss before you start the company <laughs> and not after <laughs> because like after 10 months yeah you might not agree on anything anymore mm-hmm. so then it's very important to like have a contract between founders who says like okay so these are the rules this is what happens when that happens and when that happens yeah and just spend spend a few hours just there are like these with co-founder agreements and stuff like that. Just look into one of those um, templates and see, like, ask those very difficult questions. Yeah. And one other uh, important thing, I think, is that um, a lot of people go directly from school into starting their own game companies. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's a very good idea um, because then you often have, like, a game game studio that is based on students mm-hmm. and game development is sort of like a it's a trade almost that you like have to learn from from interacting with a lot of different people mm-hmm. so i would really like recommend people to actually work in a, yeah. a little bit bigger game studio at least for a while to like actually learn the skills like in a professional matter because like it's in school and like i know that different schools is like different criteria and so things like that but it's it's still not really the same as creating a commercial product mm-hmm. you're never allowed to really like take your product to market or like the entire the entire distance so I've, and i think that we like the people just, and I know it's super boring maybe to like work in a game company for like three or five years or something like that. But I think that's very important like to actually make sure that all of your skills are actually at the level where they should be and just take in all this feedback from people who have been in the industry for many years and then start your game company. Yeah. And the opportunity. If, if you want. Community. Yeah. If you want. <laughs> the opportunities of meeting new people make forging those friendships for for later uh companies that you form uh is important also you know just the general experience of working and shipping a game just seeing that all the way through is pretty pretty important otherwise yeah you it's a student project and not to say that there are two student projects out there that have been successful it's just that yeah it's kind of tough for i think 
uh, being expected to ship something you never shipped before. It's a lot of pressure for professionals. So it's got to be harder <laughs> yeah. for beginners, right? So. <laughs> and the trade-off is it's just experience. It applies, you know, like every single day in my job, I recall experience to help me kind of not necessarily make shortcuts, but get to the answer faster or know what things I need to do to execute an idea, right? Or what pipelines to follow or what people to involve when I'm thinking of X type of system or mechanic. As a beginner, not being in these situations, all of it is day one for you. And so, like you said, you could get it right. You could still make an awesome student project, but experience goes a long way. Yeah. So circling back, you can you kind of mentioned before, and I, I kind of want to close with this too. You're talking about zero to one, right? Before like having people help in some way. And I remember reading what you guys wrote. You, you were talking about incubators and kind of like business developers around the area. Do you mind expanding on that a bit and talking about that? Um, yeah, so yeah. it's those are different in every country, but in Sweden, we're able to get space con- uh, space sponsored incubators where you like you pay slightly less like in rent in order to sit there, but then you also get access to like this network of other bi- business developers and entrepreneurs and uh, marketing people and, and people like that so it can like sort of give you advice and help you like figure out your own way mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not like it's not like you're taking in like a marketing consultant for free it's rather they teach you what you need to learn in order to set up a marketing strategy and um, what do they get in return for their services uh, so, so we actually have state-sponsored uh, incubators in Sweden. Nice. We also have some gotcha. more, um, but most most of them are space, uh, state-sponsored. And oh. man, beautiful. But I mean, <laughs> you, you should actually look around or like just go to your municipal and say that this is a good way of creating more smaller businesses mm-hmm. because it. It really is. It works, especially like these weird, these weird small startups that that can't start selling from day one or haven't like doesn't require people with twenty years of like exactly the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over here we only have uh, Starbucks. <laughs> In Starbucks is the business and don't want to talk to us. <laughs> Yeah. 90% of those guys are screenwriters. Screen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so. yeah, but even like creating like a collective of game companies yeah. that has been mm-hmm. done in certain places as well. And then you can still like, you, you have this back and forth between people who have been doing things before. Yeah. yeah. Um, or I mean, like you'll yeah. find a good like office hotel where you can sit next to other people who know different things and you can actually like talk talk between you yeah I mean, we, we have that i'm joking around but we we do have some sort of that it's not state sponsored anything. it's more like a community of game developers you know vr jams game jams uh game developer uh meetups like it, it, there's a lot actually in california in los angeles san francisco orange county it was, it's where we are but yeah. uh yeah just being a just google it man to see what's around here and uh Especially if you want to do a startup, I mean, that's probably a good place to meet a lot of like 
similarly uh, self-driven people who are ready to take the next steps, you know? Uh, and I, I would imagine too, if they, there are business investors who are interested, they would probably go there first, right? It's like, all right, I, I want to get in on this game thing. Uh, you might want to stay away from those guys, to be honest, but <laughs> if you want to meet them and talk about stuff, then they're probably there like snooping around. Like, what is this VR stuff? <laughs> like, what is that? But what we're trying to do in Malmo now is to actually help new startups yeah. like to be able to start up. And like, so we're at an incubator right now where they're actually trying to like create a gaming division. Wow. Of like so, here we're going to like put all of this uh, this expertise that the people will be able to get if they if they're trying to start their own gaming companies, and but that is just like that is just one of the industries that they're thinking that yeah that could make this region very successful. Yeah. So like, it is taxpayer money, but it's like it's from the region, and then they're like they're instead of just like. Let's usually do invest in local businesses. Um, they specifically invest in startups. Yeah. So, yeah, just really finding that type of group is more helpful than just shotgunning a, a random game developer. <laughs> <laughs> There's people out there. You just got to find the right place. More research. It's great that you guys have some state sponsor programs. I'm sure there's some over here, incubators. So if you had any last tips or advice for people who are at the forefront of starting their own business, right? And you could just tell them maybe one or two things that are going to help them along their early days, what would it be? I know it's kind of boring, but I don't think you should start with a game idea. Like in general, I think you should start with um, what market are we targeting? Like who is going to buy our game? Not necessarily mm -hmm. just like you know, the, the target group, you know, the classic ones. I'm not really talking about those. I'm talking about what market segment are we mm -hmm. trying to push? What similar games are there and how are they doing? Because mm -hmm. I think that is very important because then before you do that, you, do, you don't really know if you have a business. Mm. And if you're starting up a new company, you should not try to innovate, like create an entirely new type of game especially if it's an autistic team. I think that is very risky. Mm -hmm. And like, and just personally, I think you should plan for creating at least two games, not just have like a company that is based around one idea. I like that. Yeah. Well, sir, unless I have a, a no job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Jan, I have a special surprise for you on behalf of Brandon and I. Really? Yes. Uh, so, as special thanks for you being on this podcast and giving us an hour's worth of information and, you know, sharing your story with our audience. And we appreciate that. We're going to give you an opportunity to talk directly to the audience and promote or to shout out or to explain or, you know, to, you know, well wish anything that you're excited about, anything that you're working on that you want to raise a little awareness for. So the microphone is yours. Uh, yeah. So we're currently making this uh, story driven horror game called uh, Lake Rhythm. And um, 
now for GDC, we're actually going to have a demo out and starting to release some teaser trailers and, and things of that nature. And if you go to minatab.com, uh, you'll be able to read about uh, Lake Ridden and hopefully find the game interesting. You, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, um, J Bernardson. Uh, if you want us to spell that out, that is J B E R N H A R D S S O N. Yeah. Yes. Or check the show notes. <laughs> we'll also leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much for tuning in to another wonderful episode. Brandon, thanks for interviewing. And Johan, thank you. Johan, thank you so much for being a part of the episode. Sorry I butchered the name. And I'm Larry Charles. Good night. This is Brandon Fam. Thanks for joining us this week. See you guys next week. And. Johan, you can say something. (laughs) Yeah, and it's Johan. It was great to be on the show. All right. Good night, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.